0: Again, boys and Girls welcome to the tommy talk my name is juan this much going to be part of anthony it's a judo podcast for judo players by two judo players so anthony how you doing super sore
1: been practicing almost every day <laughs> uh, between bjj and uh, judo so uh, my knee is uh Not used to that going back to the pre-pandemic and (laughs) pre-surgery levels of training, but I'm getting there. Uh That's just got to take it nice and slow, which is relevant, relevant to the topic we're going to talk about today. Right. So,
0: yeah. At the, our last topic that we're going to talk about is about preventative injuries in judo or how to deal with them. I would say in grappling term Mm and grappling aspects of fighting. Cause I know myself also, like I started going back to catch wrestling also, so it's like, man, my neck, my back's all sore again. I am have to roll my body every day. I'm doing that. Um, I'd use this Tylenol rub for my muscles. <laughs> Tylenol rub? Yeah, it's like Tiger <laughs> Balm. It's like, what is it, Gay. It's like all these things, but we bought mm-hmm. this Tylenol stuff a long time ago, and it's worked for me, so I just buy it.
1: <laughs> okay. I'll give that I, a try, even I, though I, I use my own thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, you use Tiger Balm, don't you?
1: Uh, I use... A, um, a CBD cream and also use the wow. Muay Thai <laughs> liniment, you know, the ones that you rub on your shins. Yeah, I
0: yeah. Think, I forgot. Yeah. You did jujitsu. Of course you use a CBD cream. My bad. I forgot. My bad. All right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but before before we start the episode, um, we just want to tell let people know that the Zoom has been having some weird delay issues. So we apologize if we're like talking over each other and there's a weird pause in between.
0: But yeah. We're, we're we're trying to be cool about this, but yeah. it's hard to know when who or who's not talking. Yep. I I I just remember
1: uh, there was a previous episode where we, one of the feedback we got was like, I don't like how Juan's talking over Anthony all the time. I'm just like, it, it's not <laughs> intentional. I swear.
0: <laughs> like, nah, nah, that's true. I I don't want to hear what Anthony has to say. Nah, this is. <laughs> <laughs> Which what what? Huh? what what no. <laughs> <laughs> So as some people may or may not know, the Olympics is coming about from right now when we're filming, when we're doing this, it's three weeks away. So it's going to be the Tokyo Games. So with it being in Tokyo, a big thing for us as judo players is that we're going to do judo in Japan. So it's going to be judo in his home country, where it came from, home team advantage. So it's going to be a Japan full roster. It's going to be crazy. And with that, I want to talk a little bit about the history of judo in the Olympics and talk about other grappling arts and other striking martial arts getting into the Olympics. So, Anthony, are you ready for a little history lesson right now? Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. All right, so the first time Judo was in the Olympics was in the 1964 Tokyo Games, of course. And that one's really interesting because when they put Judo in the Olympics the first time, it was all men, sorry, it was all men. It was uh, four weight classes. And everybody thought that, okay, Judo is a cool sport, but it's not an international sport. You know, it's an Asian sport, it's a Japanese sport. And it was looking that way because the first three weight classes were, of course, won by all Japanese men till it got to the last day, which was our open weight tournament. And that's when a man by the name of Anton Gi Singh, a really famous guy, look him up. He's the reason why we have blue judo gi's also. <laughs> and it's actually a funny story because our sensei Philippe trained with him and saw him wear blue judo for the first time. It was like, oh,
1: what's that? I've, <laughs> I've never, never seen Sensei philippe in
0: a blue gi, though. So. Yeah, that's that's one thing about our instructor. He's never wore blue gi. I know, like I said before, I know three people in my judo life, four actually in my judo life that I've never seen wear blue gi at all, and will probably never wear blue gi. You okay, Anthony? You fall down?
1: I was adjusting my chair because my back <laughs> was like, the posture was bad.
0: <laughs> okay, so like I was saying, so the very first Olympics, the first three weight class were won by Japanese. The last weight class was won by Anton Giesink, which made it open to the world. And when he did that, it kind of opened the world's eyes. It's like, oh my God, this sport is not just an Asian sport. It's not just a Japanese sport. Other people are doing it and it built the popularity. And there's a thing, and I've read other places and read, seen other podcasts and people talk about that if Anton Giesink didn't win that gold medal, judo might not be as popular as today and it might not still be Olympics as it is today.
1: Yeah, I also think it uh lit a fire underneath the Japanese judokas to uh change their ways of training and approach to teaching and stuff cuz they're like these guys like it's more physical than you thought, right? Mm-hmm. Cuz let's not lie, uh, let's not uh, beat around the bush. There's got to be strength matters. Everyone knows that. So it's not fully, just all technique. So they, they changed their approach to it. Totally.
0: Yeah. It's a, there's a funny joke of, um, strength doesn't matter, but it doesn't hurt. (laughs) It's an old saying. Yep. So, um, So let's go to the next Olympics. After that was the 1968 Olympics, which was judo wasn't in there, but it was brought back for the Mexico games in uh, Mexico City in 1972. And in that one, we had six weight classes. And it was in that tournament, that's when it kind of opened up to more people because it was three Japanese winners and three European winners, which again, opened more eyes. And again, sorry, it was all men. Uh, The sad thing is that is... That we didn't get women in the judo to compete in judo in the Olympics until 1988. Like, I, I was like, every time I, when I was doing the research and looking up, looking like, okay, all right, another all men's, another all men's, another all men's, 1960, uh, 1988, I was like, wow. I was like, in my lifetime, <laughs> this is crazy to think about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, do you know about the, the history of women in judo Olympics? No, like women it, it, judo competition?
0: No, go ahead anthony
1: I so think about it. There's an American by the name of uh Rena Glickman. Uh that's her maiden name, I think, but she ended up marrying a Japanese guy, so her name is uh, Rena uh mm-hmm. And she women weren't allowed to to compete in judo back then, and she cut her hair and dressed up as a man and competed in a New York City YMCA judo tournament and beat all the men in one. Uh-huh. But then they like found out she's a woman and took away her her uh, her prize, which is like, you think about it, it's kind of ridiculous now. Yeah. But I'm sure back then they came up with some weird explanation.
0: How, how dare but you beat everyone?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna go into the whole like history behind it, but look up um, Rusty. Uh, her, her nickname was Rusty uh, Kanokogi. Mm. She is the woman pioneer for judo. And she ha- did like... She's probably credited for bringing a woman to the Olympic Games. And she was invited mm. as the first... I think she was invited... Someone may correct me. She was invited as the first woman to train with the men at the Kodokan. Mm. So, um, yeah. Great story. Look, look it up. Uh, for those who don't know. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. I remember but, hearing a few years ago, like maybe... For you, yeah, I remember when Kayla Harris won her first gold medal. Uh, I remember reading somewhere that they start talking about her again. Uh, they talk about Rusty, and that they're going to make a movie about her. someone they're trying to make a movie about her, and nothing really came of it. But it'd be interesting mm-hmm. to see if someone made a movie of it.
1: I know she has a book. Her daughter, I think, wrote a book. Uh, and also, you know, I don't know if you remember, one of the girls that trained at our dojo uh, was a writer. Um, the end mm-hmm. so when it's at a, at a tournament i told her a story about rusty and she's like wow that's so amazing like I, somebody should do a movie about it. maybe i'll write yeah. a movie about it so may, maybe we'll see it someday
0: yeah really cool to see so so in uh so it was 1988 in the Seoul olympics that's when women got the provisionaries to be in the to have their own tournament and when they do a provisionaries it means that you're not an official recognized sport it means that you're kind of like you're allowed to do a tournament at the same time at the olympics so they can watch you run a tournament see how you guys do things see if you're at the same caliber of what the olympics want and it wasn't until um 1992 at the barcelona games that female judo olympians were allowed to compete fully it was like just just like the men it was then that's how he is now we have men and women's judo in the olympics it's been that way ever since we've never been kicked out ever since so it's been like that forever and hopefully we'll be like that forever
1: yeah i think one of the we'll talk about later with sambo um, but I think one of the requirements nowadays for to be qualified as an Olympic sport to be accepted as one is to have women competing. You can't just have like an all men yeah. sport, which is one of the things that people are saying why sumo will never ever be in the Olympics because there just aren't enough mm-hmm. women competing in the sumo right
0: now. Yeah. And it is funny that you bring up sumo because there's real sumo that you and me watch in japan that we watch like an nhk from japan and then there's this world grand grand world champion you you know better than i do that happens out here in los angeles at the lbc Mm -hmm. that's like oh i'm the world champion it's like nah bro you're not the world you're not the world world champion all right
1: (laughs) yeah that i think some of the amateurs go compete there so you're the one in Long Beach, I think, is actually U.S. sumo nationals, right? And they also hold, like, world sumo championships around the world. And um, that is amateur. And actually, feet, some of the, the champions from the world sumo championships in the weight classes there actually end up going to what they call big sumo or sumo, like, big sumo tournament. That's the professional, mm-hmm. the one that we
0: see in Japan with no weight classes. Yeah, yeah. But... um. Yeah, back to the Olympics. Get out of here. (laughs) We might talk a little bit about sumo later also, talk about preventative injuries also. (laughs) I don't want to be a downer right now, but there's some crazy (laughs) stuff that happens, some sad things, but let's continue to talk about martial arts and the Olympics. So the reason we start talking about this, because again, judo's an Olympic sport, it's always been an Olympic sport, and that's why we're regulated the way we are, is because we are an Olympic sport. What the IOC says goes to the IGF, which comes down to us, so that's why... Everything comes down the ladder, and we have to follow. So we're very regulated that way. And um, I know a lot of people were upset at the last Olympics at Rio because I know Brazilian Jiu Jitsu was trying to get into the Olympics. And people was like, "Oh, get Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in there! It's going to happen in Brazil." And that's actually one way that a lot of countries get their sports in into the Olympics is that when you're a host country, you can do—I um, don't know—like It's like you get to nominate sports or a guest sport or something. But they get to put it suggest what they want in there and that's how taekwondo got put in we'll talk about that in a little bit too but the reason bjj wasn't allowed is because they weren't regulated like uh, people that do BJJ know that like i got my black belt under so-and-so at summer's blah, blah blah or i got it from a Be- uh gracie baja gym and um anthony what's the bit is it IBJJF? is that the big uh BGJ federation. It's a big one, but <laughs> uh, they're b- for pretty much a business. Call them,
1: some people would argue that they aren't actually uh, a federation, like a federation, uh-huh. like a non-biased federation. Uh-huh. They because great, I think Gracie Baja, the owns them, like the owners uh-huh. own them, and um, yeah, there's some controversy about their rules and stuff like that, but they are trying to be in the Olympics. Yeah. That I, I, I know for sure, yeah, it
0: just has to get more um. Like we talked about before we're gonna talk about later is that more regulation of like how we have in judo like we go to the ioc igf igf trickles down to everybody what i what the igf international judo Federation says goes to all of judo okay like there are spinoffs of people that want to do freestyle judo or traditional judo or other types of stuff there's that but everybody if you want to compete in olympics we have to go to the ioc's regulations which is the igf and that's where we all come through um so and the other reason why uh BGJ didn't get into olympics other than just not being organized in a federation is that this is what and we're talking about this stuff with later with karate also is that the, the the ioc said it is too similar to wrestling and judo they said it looks like judo and they're doing moves just like wrestling so we already have those two sports in here i'm talking about freestyle wrestling not greco basically just judo yeah basically (laughs) just Just judo it's like (laughs) it's it's like it looks just like judo it it, it looks just like judo there's no big difference there's not a huge difference in it and i know some people might argue well there's greco wrestling freestyle wrestling freestyle and greco are totally different freestyle is about like double legs taking people down and getting a pin where greco is about getting big throws only using your upper body for the most part okay like they're they're actually really different so that's why bjj wasn't put in the Olympics in Rio. They can still try. They can still try and just keep on applying because it's going to become a big sport and it might. And with some of the other sports we're t- going to talk about, there's some light at the end of the tunnel. And um, so. Well, the, uh, before we move on, like,
1: one, yeah. again, we're going to talk about it later, but I think mm-hmm. one of the requirements being Olympics is it has to be practiced all over the world by many mm-hmm. countries. And B2J is definitely growing, but right now, I, I think like, it's still kind of an expensive sport that um, only like English speaking mm -hmm. countries and Western countries have like huge popularity Mm -hmm. in it. Like America, Australia, like those kind of places. But the IOC has been actively going to third world countries and like starting judo programs and stuff like that. I I don't see BJJ um, getting that kind of status for at least another like five Mm -hmm. to 10 years. So. Unless something magically happens, the growth explodes all <laughs> over the world. And it's it, a, lot, a lot of people who are in America think like BJJ is more popular than judo. But that's only true in America. But outside of America, judo is hugely more popular than BJJ, including in Brazil.
0: Yeah. So it's very much. Um, it's a first world sport. If you want to put it that way, Like, it's like first world problems, it's a first world sport. Because it's it's more of an expensive sport. It's made for it's done for profit. Where a lot of judo dojos are nonprofit. You know, we barely we barely pay our bills and get by, and we try because we love the sport. So, those are the the grappling arts in the Olympics? And um, a little side thing, actually, a little side thing right here about wrestling. And I was doing some of my research I'm trying to, when I was trying to look up for grappling arts and stuff People talk about, oh, what about wrestling? Like, they're a grappling martial art, they're martial arts. like, yeah, wrestling was actually in the very first when they restarted the Olympics in um, 1896, when they had the first rehashed Olympics. And it wasn't freestyle. It was Greco. Greco was the first wrestling oh, style really? that they did. Yeah, it was first Greco. And then at the third Olympics, that's when they brought in freestyle. So I'm assuming that it was at the time when wrestling was switching from catch wrestling to what we know now as freestyle folk and Greco, that that's when they were trying to get the rules straight, what people are doing, how they wrestle each other. So it wasn't until the third Olympics that you actually got freestyle. The first one was Greco style. So they're throwing each other with suplexes and head and arms and all that. The very first Olympics.
1: <laughs> they were doing that. Greco, they were doing some sort of wrestling in ancient Greece, too. Oh, yeah, of course. The old school of Olympics. Yeah. Like, Real wrestling. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that's grappling in the Olympics. And uh, so we want to talk about like some of the other martial arts in the Olympics. So let's talk about Taekwondo, the striking arts, the f- the second striking martial art to be put in the Olympics. And that was, everyone knows, was brought in during the Seoul Olympics in nineteen. Was the first one boxing? Well, you know, the very first one was boxing. I'm saying the second one. Yeah, okay. Day. I'm okay. asking what the first oh, the one first, first, was. Yeah. yeah. The very first one was boxing. And that was brought in at the... S- yeah. Third Olympics, I think that was when I my research in 1904, so yeah, that was had to be the third Olympics also.' Okay. and that's when boxing was brought in. And then the next Olympics after that boxing was taken out and then Olympics after that it was brought back in again <laughs> <laughs> and it's been in ever since then. And people know boxing, you know, they have the big headgears, they have those big gloves on, they have the mm-hmm. white fronts, because that's the only part you're allowed to hit with. You have to wear your little your little um, <laughs> tank top Best. thing, little vest, yeah. and your little shorts, and you box, okay? So that was the first martial art, the striking martial art to get put in the Olympics. The second one was Taekwondo, and that was a big thing, because people don't think of boxing as a martial art, even though it is it is a martial art people don't think of it that way they think of martial art, think of kicking and spin kicks and feet in the air so yep. uh this uh so it'd be technically like so the rest would be one boxing would be two judo would be three so i mean taekwondo number four then right yeah, yeah.
1: I, I guess yeah
0: yeah so taekwondo be the four.
1: Uh, i mean i mean this is before we talk about stuff that we have no idea about like fencing like
0: fencing hey, those, is are, West, those are Those too, are what i so. call weapon martial arts there's a difference there's hand-to-hand martial arts, martial arts there's hand-to-hand martial arts and there's weapon martial arts all right and i okay. think fencing when i was doing my research fencing was in the very first olympics as well so really yeah well wow. of course fencing was in the very first olympics people were doing duels and stuff taking off gloves yeah, and slapping people in the face <laughs> you know let's go ta 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 you know let me give him a rapier right here let's go at it <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so go back to the Taekwondo was put in the Olympics. And um, the first Taekwondo I believe was, I didn't write it down, but I believe it was men and women Taekwondo. There was not separation of like only men competing yet. Cause this is back in the eighties. All right. Like we're having women doing judo. We have women doing Taekwondo also. And Taekwondo was actually funny too. Cause it was put into the, the Seoul Olympics, taken out for Atlanta. And then put back in afterwards. So it's been in after that. And this is weird thing I noticed. It seems seems to be
1: a pattern, right? It seems to be
0: a pattern that I've noticed when I was doing our research, like they'll put it in, see how it does, take it out, see if there's a backlash, and then put it back (laughs) in like all right, all right, all right, (laughs) all (laughs) right, so you get taekwondo in the Olympics, all right, which is kind of cool. And during the London games, I remember there being a lot of hubbub because in Great Britain and, and in Europe karate is very popular. Point-style karate is very, very popular in Europe and especially in the the UK. So I remember reading things about how the UK was trying to get point-style karate into the London games. And at that time, they're doing all these things. They thought they were gonna get put in there. But what it came down to again is that, okay, we have boxing, we have Taekwondo, we have hand fighting, we have kicking art. Karate is too similar. It looks too similar to Taekwondo. We're not going to put it in there But that's what got the ball rolling To get it into um, To get into right now the Tokyo games And I know you looked up That there's this thing that When they do provisional tournaments where, And Rio They had a mm-hmm. provisional karate tournament there A striking kumite tournament Tournament mm-hmm. <laughs> tournament, <laughs> tournament <laughs> yeah. To see How does it run How are they doing this What does it look like Okay can it, Does it have this feel of the Olympics to it I guess it did well enough that right now we're gonna have taek- we're gonna have taekwondo, we're gonna have karate in the Olympics officially for the first time in the Tokyo Games this year. And the crazy thing to me is that it's not just striking kumite type uh, karate; it is also <laughs> kata. So you're gonna see people out there doing kata. And when I was doing the research on this again, they have the choice between a hundred and two different katas to choose from. Yeah, there's just so
1: many That's- different so many different karate styles and like th- they each have their own styles of kata. Like th- I said, I think Sanchin is the most basic karate kata and every style has their own version of Sanchin. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's just like amazing. Well,
0: this weird thing is because all the karate styles katas pretty much look the same, you know? it's like when I do my, uh, my first, like let's say number one kata, when I do my number one white ball kata, I do it in a very low stance. But if I go to a Taekwondo dojo sometimes, they do in what's called a walking stance. So their legs are pretty much straight the entire time. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's little slight differences. And the karate styles that have been verified and have been approved by the, um, was it, the World Karate Federation, the WKF, is that it's the ru systems mostly. So it's going to be Goju-ru karate, shoto karate, wara karate, and Shotokan karate. <laughs> So it's yep. three main root systems and Shotokan. And it's interesting because Shotokan, like you'd be surprised how many people know Shotokan, because in my opinion it's one of the more yeah. popular karate style.
1: Yeah, when I when I think of point fighting, I think of uh I think of Shotokan Karate. That's what I think of automatically. Yeah.
0: You're not gonna get um you're not gonna get Kyokushin, Kyokushin Kai versions, you're not gonna get Tong in there, you're not gonna get my style. I'd you know, love could, to
1: see Kyokushin in the in Olympics. I, I
0: would I could, love to see that. I wonder if I could sneak in because do is an offshoot of Shotokan. Hmm. hmm. <laughs> <should> begin somehow. <laughs> but yeah, so those are the uh the four major karate styles and be in there. And they do point style fighting and they're gonna do katas, which is gonna be very interesting to watch. And it's only gonna be, oh, I didn't write this down. I was, so in the for the for at least for the striking arts, for the kumites, it's gonna be three-way classes, three for men, three for women. And For the Katas, I wonder if they're just having one representative for men, one representative for women.
1: Hmm. That'll be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I I know I read it, but now
0: I can't remember what it was.
1: Huh. I'll I'll be first to say I'm going to offend people here again, but I'm I'm not a huge fan of Kata tournaments. Mm -hmm. I I think Kata is important, but I think I'm not a huge fan of competing in Kata. I, I think it's not meant for competition and just making it that way is kind of ridiculous mm-hmm. and and I'll, I'm also not a fan of point fighting so. <laughs> <laughs> like well I, if there's some... <laughs> go on Anthony go, go on. ahead isn't there some rule in, in uh, Shotokan point fighting in karate that you can't hit too hard or something like that
0: so it's this weird thing of it's this old thing from like 1970 or 60s where you have to hit with speed and control but should you hit your opponent So when I hit somebody for point style, usually, usually is that when I hit somebody, I hit them, but it has to not be like knock the wind out of them. It's not full blast. So, but if you watch, here's the thing though, they say this, but then if you watch some of the WKF tournaments online and stuff, they're going full blast hitting each other. Like uh, the kicks, there's one thing about kicks in any style, kicks in any style are going full blast. That's just how it is. Mm -hmm. Punches are a little bit more controlled, but head kicks, body kicks and stuff. They're full blast, and that's another thing about uh, this style. Point five, point style. This style, point style karate, uh, you can kick from the waist all the way up to the head, and I believe punches are only going to be to the body, like with uh, power. And I think to the head it has to be with control. That's a big karate thing always. Okay, that that, that makes a lot more sense.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah. And um, I don't know if they're going to add actually stuff to them to wear because we were talking about boxing. You got the head gear on, you got the gloves on, and stuff. In taekwondo. You got the big head on, you have the foam head on, you have the chest protector on, you have shin pads on and foot pads. You also have these little tiny, tiny little foam things that cover your knuckles, little foam gloves to protect you. In normal point style fighting karate, there are some terms that make you wear a chest protector. It's usually a white chest protector you wear underneath your gi. Uh, but sometimes you don't, I don't see that sometimes, but they have the white chest protector and then it's just uh, foot pads, no shin pads, and uh, gloves like little um, do, now do you think they
1: enacted these gear and rules about the, the strikes aiming to become an Olympic sport, or do you think it was just done anyway and then they applied to be Olympic sport?
0: Most of this stuff was already implemented in like like the 80s, except for the headgear part. Okay. In most point file karate, mm-hmm. they, they don't wear headgear. So it'll be interesting to see in the Olympics if they make them wear headgear, make them wear the foam headgear like Taekwondo. Guaranteed. If
1: they make boxing do it they're gonna, and Taekwondo do it, they're definitely going to do it for karate.
0: Yeah. So I wonder if it's going to be this foam headgear or the big like leather boxing style headgear. Be interesting to see. So those are all the martial arts in the Olympics right now or in this year, at least. And there might be more, apparently, because we had an actual one of our listeners send us a thing about how Sambo is a provisional sport or is going to become a professional sport in in the olympics which would be really cool because that's the in my opinion the closest way you're going to get mma in the olympics is sambo and muay thai may become an olympic sport as well which i think is more interesting because if you get muay thai in there it's very similar to taekwondo it's very similar to karate it's very similar to boxing how are they going to sneak that in there and what pads are they gonna to have to wear like are they gonna wear headgears, elbow pads, because that's a big thing about Muay Thai, that's, that's make, it's a big difference in Muay Thai. Yeah. If you're not throwing elbows, it's basically just Western style mm-hmm. uh, kickboxing, either American style, Dutch style, or Japanese style kickboxing. That's all it is. And it's basically karate at that point, so <laughs> I think I'd be wearing elbow pads, knee pads, shin pads, foot pads, all pads, I'd be fully padded up. <laughs> Yeah.
1: For me, I'm not maybe from a spectator point of view, Ah. those, like you said, those, those like, no, no difference if you do this. But, um, from someone who who trained Muay Thai for a bit, I think what's going to matter more is how to do the scoring system. Mm -hmm. Cause, um, I know some people are saying there's, there's more Muay Thai promotions now that changed the rounds into like three round fights kind Mm -hmm. of thing and change the scoring system because, um, they want to help the sport grow and make it an Olympic yeah. sport. And they think changing that will make it more appealing to foreign, uh, foreign viewers. But a lot of them are like, no, the old school scoring system is a lot better because they score, they score takedowns and knees like really highly. Um, that's why you don't see a lot of punches. Um, so yeah, I, I know there's like some controversy there. So I think the scoring system is going to, for me, is going to be the, the big thing.
0: So, Anthony, can you read the article that you that you told me about, uh, tell it to our audience? Yeah.
1: So, one of the um, one of the people that I'm uh, in a group on Facebook. She trains Muay Thai. Her name is Angela. She trains Muay Thai in Thailand, and she has a blog that I'll link in the description. So, she talks about uh, Muay Thai and um, getting provisional status and what it means, and um, provisional status for Olympics and what it means. So. Um, The reason that I started looking it up was because we have a view, a listener, uh, Gerald, Gerard, Gerald. Yeah. Sorry if I forgot the name real quick. Um, He emailed us a couple weeks ago and was like, hey, like, are you guys going to talk about Sambo getting provisional status? Like he's excited about it. And it's just more grappling arts in the Olympics is better for us, right? For martial artists like us, especially grapplers. And I was like, hey, we've already recorded the next two episodes, so we'll talk about (laughs) it eventually. So while doing research, I found this post about Muay Thai and provisional status, and I'm going to assume this applies the same to uh, Sambo. So Mm -hmm. um, I'm I'm not going to read the whole thing. If you want the details, go to the blog post, but um, I'm just going to pull out the key excerpts, like uh, provisional recognition means Muay Thai could be included in the future Olympic Games. For three years after getting provisional status, Muay Thai's international governing body is eligible to receive funding, $25,000 per year, and special grants. The purpose of this money is to help the sport build, set, and sustain a foundation in the Olympics. This year, right before the start of the 2021 Tokyo Olympic Games, the IOC will vote for full recognition of these sports. Other sports up for full recognition include kickboxing, sambo, lacrosse, and cheerleading. I I don't think cheerleading should be in the Olympics, personally. Oh,
0: hate mail. Send that hate mail to (laughs) anthony (laughs) at Talk (laughs) at (laughs) 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 gmail.com. I'm getting scared now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Between getting provisional recognition and applying for full approval at the end of the three-year period, Muay Thai is expected to work on getting Olympic approval. To get full recognition, sport must adhere to Olympic standards of anti-doping and have anti-corruption measures set in place. Muay Thai also needs to demonstrate that it's widely practiced. The cutoff is by populations of men in 75 countries and by women in 40 countries on three continents. If Muay Thai does get full recognition, it does not guarantee the sport in the next Olympic Games. To be in the summer games, there needs to be a minimum of 50 affiliated national federations for the winter and for winter games, 25. These national federations need to be need to span at least three continents. The earliest Muay Thai could be fully recognized and seen in the Olympic Games is by 2024
0: that's the paris game. That's the paris game so that that's the the key information i think were important and as you mentioned there there's three martial arts actually that are up for it so it was mm-hmm. sambo kickboxing and muay thai
1: yep yeah
0: that's
1: they uh they already got uh provisional so they're up for full recognition so i think they vote after uh, they vote at the next meeting kind of thing mm-hmm. who's going to get it and i think we were talking about karate karate if I remember correctly, they narrowly uh, lost to golf and uh, what was the other thing? Golf and something else. Some other sport. Was it like beach
0: volleyball or something?
1: (laughs) I don't remember what it was, but... Yeah, so I think it was interesting because they're saying, "Oh, you need to have like anti-corruption and anti-doping measures in place." And anyone who trains BJJ can tell you, BJJ is not there
0: <laughs> in terms of <laughs> in terms of those two. Again, days. hate mail at tatami talk at Gmail towards Anthony, <laughs> and he's a BJJ guy. Also, he's the BJJ one. Yep. I'm the judo, I'm the judo and catch guy. <laughs> no, but it'd be cool it's to okay. get. I into I more think most
1: market. people who train BJJ don't i'm saying most people don't want to see bjj in olympics because they look at what what it did to judo and
0: they're like we don't want to be like mm. judo like yeah <laughs> it gets enough taken out oh you guys look too similar to this take this out oh you guys can't do this move anymore you guys can't do that move anymore <laughs> yeah, yeah but it'd be cool to get two more striking martial arts in there like like i said before okay so if you get kickboxing and muay thai in there okay so kickboxing Very popular sport, Muay Thai, very popular sport. But it gets to me again, when you get into the ring, because they'll be in kickboxing rings, of course, which are very similar to boxing rings. What pads are they going to make them wear? You know, like in judo, we we wear knee braces and elbow pads and stuff. We can wear whatever we want underneath our gi as long as it's not showing. When you get to like the striking arts, like I said, Taekwondo, they wear stuff head to toe. Karate, they wear the feet, hand and chest protectors. What's Muay Thai gonna have to wear? Head guards, elbow pads. Like, you've been to some am- Have you been to some amateur uh, Muay Thai fights? Haven't you yeah, right? I've
1: I've been to some smokers. I've been to yeah. some smokers before. And it yeah. looks
0: weird. It, it just looks weird to me. You got guys big old elbow pads on their elbow. Guys wearing headgear. gears, just like yeah, elbows him. Yeah, most the I've been
1: to. <laughs> yeah, most of the ones I've been to don't allow elbows. Um, but I know the amateur fights allow elbows, but you have to wear um, elbow guards, and that's to satisfy the, the sporting commission. Mm-hmm. the state's uh sporting commission to allow those fights to happen yeah.
0: and then when you get to kickboxing is it gonna be the same as karate and boxing are they going to wear chest protectors or no chest protectors they're definitely gonna have to wear headgear probably boxing headgear boxing gloves and like some sort of foot protection whether it's to be foot and shin pads or whatnot that's why to me out of all of these things that are coming up the one that has the best chance to meet is sambo sambo already wears the headgear when they compete they already wear the gloves they already wear the shin pads and I don't know if there were knee pads. There were knee pads. I know they were definitely shin' and foot pads, gloves, and head you're already. They're
1: already built. Com- well, so that's that's the other thing. Are they talking about combat sambo or they're gonna do like regular sambo? <sighs> they're they're definitely gonna sombo, take so out can- the balls kicking thing.
0: <laughs> no, they're, <laughs> they're gonna leave combo in there, so you can pull out a knife halfway instead of fighting just like shake the guy. <laughs> <laughs> ready right at all times ready right at all times <laughs> i think it'd be the regular sports it'd be the regular sports sambo the most people practice be the red side the blue side and you get the ref in the middle wearing that weird half head half shirt
1: <laughs> yep but some speaking of sports that are too similar then sambo is really similar to judo so what, what do you think will happen when if it does become a full olympic sport um especially in russia sambo practitioners and judo practitioners train under the same roof in most place in most mm-hmm. training places and well, some of them fight and compete in both mm-hmm. so We're, what's going to happen like are people going to transition to sambo because it allows leg grabs and leg blocks and all that kind of stuff some people i, I would personally find that more attractive
0: well it's going to be which one you're better at if you're a two-sport athlete you're going to go compete the one you feel you have the best um the best avenue to win, you know, the best place I'm going to get a medal at, you know, if I feel that I'm really good, I'm a good, really good wrestler. Okay. I do really well at freestyle, not so well at folk style, but I'm really good at Greco. So I'm going to do Greco. I'm going to try to go to Olympics and Greco. Okay. If I want to go to the Olympics, I have to learn how to do freestyle. I can be a great folk style wrestler, a great American folk style wrestler. But if I want to go to the Olympics, I have to do freestyle. It's just, it's just like that. I think it's just one of the things where if you're a cross trainer and you do these things, you're going to pick which sport you're going to be able to get your best medal at. Or I don't know why we don't do this already is that there's this is something that I this is actually my karate sense I bring this up years ago. I think I was a teenager we were hanging out and talking about this. Why is there a decathlon for cross for track and field, but not a martial art decathlon? You do wrestling, oh, you that do would Greco, be crazy. you do judo, <laughs> you do taekwondo, you do boxing, and whoever does the best out of those five events, because there's five events already. <laughs> they're the ultimate martial uh, ultimate martial arts they're the decathlon winner of martial arts oh, that's crazy talk we'll have to do we'll a local uh because
1: fed- <laughs> we had to start a local federation for that person <laughs> <There> <laughs> isn't
0: a, that just, to someone crazy you're just, enough to doing, sign you're just doing up for that doing individual <laughs> sports you're doing individual martial arts sports and we're making more crazy we had the we had the oh, weapon God. martial arts too so you got shooting fencing <laughs>
1: <laughs> you might as well get a MMA into, into, um, hey, into I said, we got Olympics.
0: Sambo. I said, we got Sambo. Okay. As a close thing, we're good. Yeah. for people that are like, let's get MMA. In the, let's get MMA. Let's get MMA. You're not going to get MMA. Okay. It's going to be very tough to get true MMA in the Olympics. Your closest bet, I think is Sambo. And if you do Sambo where it's yeah. like, it is, the regular sports Sambo. You do. Just to clarify, when you say Sambo, you mean combat Sambo. Yeah, combat Sambo, where you do kick, punch, throws, takedown submissions, okay? That's the Sambo that I believe is going to get into Olympics, yep. and that's the close thing to MMA you're going to get into the Olympics, in my opinion.
1: I agree. I think I think combat Sambo will make it, if anything, yeah. not the regular Sambo because it's way too close to Judo. Yeah. But I would love regular Sambo to make it because it would light a fire under an IJF to maybe bring back leg grabs and stuff because I can see a bunch of people... Switching to Sambo at that point, if Sambo becomes an Olympic sport, mm-hmm. there's going to be more Sambo places available all over the world, mm-hmm. and people will switch over. I think if you allow leg grabs and uh, leg locks and stuff like that. So,
0: and if you ever watch combat, I Sambo kind of
1: has a monopoly over jacketed wrestling.
0: <laughs> yeah so if you ever see combat sambo it's done on a flat mat just like a judo mat it's not done in a cage it's not done in a ring i've seen places do stuff like that to try to spice it up to make it more modern change it up like oh it's done just like on a judo mat or just like on a wrestling mat you know they wear wrestling shoes with kick pads on them um actually i've watched seen both actually i've seen wrestling shoes playing and then wrestling shoes with kick pads and then the gloves and headgear and stuff on a wrestling mat or on a judo mat so that's what you'll probably see in the olympics if it gets picked up and that's your closest thing to mma you're going to get (laughs) so all right is there any more olympic talk you want to talk about martial arts in the olympics
1: uh yeah i mean i'm excited for olympics even though most of my favorite athletes won't be at the Olympics, so um, <laughs> but we're we're having a, a dojo watch party. That's going to be fun. We're, we're going to have to decide which weight class, which day we're going to watch, though. It's not going to be all seven days or eight days, whatever it was going to be.
0: So, <laughs> we're going to get up at two in the morning yeah. every day and watch Olympics live <laughs> at the dojo. <laughs> at the dojo. <laughs> all right, honey, I'm leaving I the house. I'm going to go watch judo. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> But I'm really interested to see about the Olympics, the Japanese team, because I remember uh, the last game that they had Rio, Japan didn't do that poorly, but I remember reading Japan in the Japanese news and stuff, my wife telling me that Japan was, uh, they were upset about how they did. They were mad that they didn't get enough, like that they took a lot of like, I think bronze and silvers, but they were mad they didn't take enough gold and mm-hmm. silver. You know, that, to them it's all about gold and silver. Yep. Bronzes is like, you're the first loser. That's all you're, the second loser, whatever, whatever the old saying is, yeah. that whatever your coach told you is that. So I know that they were coming back this year with a vengeance. And of course they do because they're in Tokyo. So they get a full squad of killers in each weight class.
1: Yeah, I think the pressure might get to a few of them. And traditionally, the Japanese have struggled in heavier weight classes. It's always Mm -hmm. like lighter weight classes and middle weights where they do really well. But um, it'll be interesting if it's like the reverse happens. Because we've seen a few surprises happen at the World Championships already where some Japanese people get got knocked out round one, round two. Um, mm-hmm. But as usual, I'm more of a fan of watching the the female fight um, just because there's more Nawaza involved and uh, mm-hmm. there's less strength involved and more they're more technical. I know Sensei Philippe totally disagrees with me about that. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> Men has plenty of techniques, but I'm, as to me, it's just like a lot of strength. It's not very fun to watch mm-hmm. for me. So... And I don't like watching the, the, what do you call it? What did you call it? Like the, the dirty wrestling, like,
0: Oh, it, not uh, dirty uh, wrestling, I call it uh, rough, I, I, the wrestling. It's just some um, dirty bulldog wrestling. That's just, yeah. What, what did I call it? I came with a good saying, but I totally forgot it. That's my problem. I need to write this stuff mm-hmm. down. I come with a good saying and I totally forget. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I'm not saying there's no technique involved. There's definitely a technique involved, but I like to like, watch like really clean is, barns, So,
0: Is that Mongolian guy that we talked about, they got that dirty dog style, gritty Random parallel, yeah. Yeah, is he in the Olympics? Is he going?
1: Yeah, I, I think he's going to go. He's been doing really well. There's It'll be a shame he's not. Um, I am a fan of Lunkbot. Monkbot from Mongolia, the the yes. woman I've yes. told you about it. She's so yeah. um Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know,
0: she, I don't know if she retired yet. She's pretty old. So, yeah, she still um, has amazing I'm excited to see her in the Olympic No, she still has amazing Niwaza She yeah. did really well. Like she's, she's great.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, she can wrestle. Like you said, she can wrestle. She can do clean judo She can do Niwaza consistently in the final block. Like I love mm-hmm. watching her. Um, but I think part of it is the rules with how azari is scored now being coca and even (laughs) like yuko um (laughs) being scored that that kind of um how do you say it rewards you for doing this kind of style
0: it's
1: not just watering it down it rewards you for doing that kind of wrestling style to wrestle people down to the ground and you get like two of those Mm -hmm. takedowns and you win it's I, I want to go yeah. back to those clean, hard-earned Ippons that we used to see in, in Judo, even though it, the matches are a bit longer and some people might find it boring. Mm-hmm. But, yeah.
0: That's all I have to say. Well, just one of those thing. things... No, I get you. I understand it. You know, you get this thing where people talk about um, the difference between Ippon Judo and then Wazari Judo and how, like, guys that come from a wrestling background or Sambo or what's that Chinese grappling style, the Chinese Judo style called? Shui Jiao shujao and stuff come from that and they don't have ipo in judo but they have really good wazari judo and right now with the whole thing of that oh well the reason we changed um yukos into wazari is because they're so similar it's like not really because not all yukos are made the same you know so technically i can do two ugly yuko throws or takedowns drag downs whatever i do and get ipo for that it's nuts if you think about it and we we should all some also, of them aren't even Yukos or Coca's. Yeah, it's Kokas. It oh god, you bringing even more old school stuff right there, or coca. <laughs> and for people that don't know what a coca is, if you're a more modern day coca person, coca was basically just an attack. Coca was just if you just attacked and got them to the ground, you get a coca. And it was like less than an advantage. It was just a really weird thing that even me, I never, I really never understood it, but I, I never understood it yeah it, <laughs> it, it is so i so i wrestled him down and i took him down he didn't go on his back he's on his belly side whatever that's gonna count as this little half quarter decimal point of an advantage
1: <laughs> yeah i think it only mat. i think that only comes into play when both your your yukos and wazaris are tied then you look at the kokos that, that's what my understanding <laughs> is i might be wrong but it's, it's,
0: Yeah. yeah I used to make terrible jokes about that, but I call that, oh, is it a Coca Cola?
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that's, uh, I think that's enough about Olympic Talk.
0: All right. The the Ballyrunner mistakes. Our our,
1: our Olympic Talk episodes are always consistently has the least views. (laughs) Oh,
0: I'll make you sad now. You hurt me inside. all right now we're going from very happy fun topic to a very sad angry pisses me off topic about judo so anthony can you take this part what what?
1: (laughs) why why you pushing it on me okay um yeah i'm sure most people have heard like in taiwan um one of the seven i think it was a seven-year-old boy uh Mm -hmm. got just passed away they pulled the life support out um he went to a judo dojo where he was thrown repeatedly and I think at that point he's only taking like a few weeks of judo and uh, he was crying saying his head hurts but the sensei kept making him get up and throwing him again uh, by another student mm-hmm. and eventually he had to send, get sent to the hospital and um, it was just sad all around not just because of this event but because his uncle who took him to the dojo uh, to, the, to the class was recording the whole thing and he didn't stop it and uh there's many um, theories and explanations as to why he just watched it happen. Um, we can talk about that, but, um, yeah, like you said, I felt really uncomfortable reading about the story, and I kind of did not want to watch the video until um, someone that we trained with that I'm not gonna'm I'm gonna, I'm not gonna name who sent me a message one day and was like, is this fake news? Like mm-hmm. the, the throws didn't look too bad to me. Like, and there, there were mats on the floor and I'm just kind of like, how are you a Brown belt in judo? And you can look at that and not see a problem with it. So that, that was after I watched the video. Cause I didn't watch the video. He, he said it didn't look too bad. So I'm like, okay, I'll watch the video. So I watched it and it was just sickening seeing that happen. Just, yeah. I don't know how that guy got his candy cane belt. Like, Um, some people are saying he was unlicensed six Mm -hmm. is at least six done right some people said he was unlicensed and mm -hmm. that can mean many things right that can mean he is not licensed to teach as in he he got a fake belt or it could mean he never took the concussion courses um and all the standards set by the national governing body to make you a a approved instructor it could also mean he took it but then it expired and he never wanted to pay the fee again. So he just let it expire. And just saying he was unlicensed kind of is good PR for the, uh, the national governing body. So it could mean anything. It was never clarified. Um, if someone who lives in Taiwan knows, uh, like send, out, send us a message and um, we'll be glad to bring it back up again. But um, there's a lot of unanswered questions about uh, this whole tragedy, so.
0: Yeah, it's a very messed up situation from what I read in a thing. And I remember first reading about maybe two months ago when it first happened. And it's actually been like two and a half months now, probably since it happened. When it first when it first happened, is that this kid was, I don't know if he wasn't listening to Sensei or not, but they're just it seemed like they were just taking their frustrations out on this kid. A seven-year-old little boy doesn't know judo that well, doesn't know how to fall. And you have the instructor, uh, I heard it a seventh-degree black belt, seventh degree Dawn. Uh, throwing the kid hard and then he's doing the whole thing where he's having the other kids or other members that are, you know, throw him hard, throw him hard, throwing hard. And it's just repeatedly being thrown hard. And he's being thrown so hard that he just getting repeatedly throwing down his head hitting the mat. At one point he starts crying and saying his head hurts. And as, soon as you watch the full video, he starts throwing up. And anybody that's taking the American. Now this is the thing that for me and Anthony, me and Anthony are certified. Well, I'm a full certified coach. I had to take the coaching clinic, I had to take what's called Heads Up, which is a concussion program, and I had to take Safe Sport, which is also, it talks about concussion levels, about how to train and teach safely in the United States. You have to take all these, you have to take these, take these courses, take the test afterwards, and then if you get certified, you get your, your certificate that shows that you've done this. And we have to do that in America every two years. It's every two to four years. I'm not sure exactly.
1: I just retook mine.
0: Yeah, it's like every two, two years, right? Two months I believe ago. they changed it. Yeah, so it's it's, it's even more recent now. So now you have to do every two years. It's every four years. So in America, we have to do this to become a coach, okay? And your dojo can put up a thing, be like, we have certified coaches here, okay? We have safe sport coaches. We have people that have taken the th- things that know about concussion protocol. And I'm one of the guys in a dojo that's a little more safe than sorry. If someone hits their head, or I see someone take a little. Th- Take a little too heart to hard or dive, I'll have them sit out. I know it's tougher with the adults and stuff because they'd be like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'll do it. And some of you let them go and you say, like, no, no, he's still moving a little weird. Go sit him down. But when it comes to children, if a child hits his head, okay, one, you should already be like, okay, he hit his head. Let's see how he's doing. Okay. Give him a second. See what he's doing. If a kid immediately starts throwing up during a, during a class, if it's not hot outside, cause he's not getting heat stroke or something. Okay. If it's from a head trauma of him hitting the mat, either he may hit his chest hard, back hard or head hard. And he starts throwing up. That kid is done. Okay. That kid is done for the day. And I'm telling the parents, okay, he looked like he took a hard fall just to be on the safe side, I would go take him to the hospital, just go see him, go make him see a doctor, get him get a concussion test or see how he's doing. Okay, not when he's, oh, well just walk it off and then continue. In the video that pisses me off, the kid is crying and throwing up. And there's been times where I've gone to dojos before. There's two dojos here in Los Angeles I've been to before. One where a kid was crying on the mat and I stepped on the mat and I was a brown belt at the time. So I wasn't in a black belt yet. And I was, and I said to the coach, I was like, what's going on here? Why is he like, why are you picking on this guy? he's like, oh, this is how we train. I was like, dude, I don't like this. This ain't cool. All right. The kid's crying. I just kind of argue with the ref. I argued with the ref. I argued with the coach about it. And then I left. I've never went there again. And there's another dojo. I went to over by the beach area. And in judo, we fall. We fall, we throw, we get hit, you know, it happens. And one thing that's one of my pet peeves when I, get, when I go visit dojos, I'll have these coaches out, we'll say, okay, enter throw and don't throw anybody. And if someone accidentally falls, they'll start yelling at the kid. how did you let him fall? Why did you, why did you? it's like, shit happens, okay? I understand shit happens. There's no reason you picking on a kid like that, okay? So when you're picking on a kid by now, you're, you're not just like hazing him, we're making them work hard. I have no problem with a child working hard if he's acting up. OK, Anthony knows I make my students when they act up, I make them do push ups. I make them do squats. All right. I love having fun with my kids when I train them and stuff. But when they start acting up, it's time to do workout. OK, if you're if you're <laughs> if you're not tired enough from working out, you got to do some extra workout. and after you got to do push ups and squats and stuff. It's not, okay, everybody, just fuck, just throw this kid. Just throw him on his head, okay? Don't let him hit right, drill him into the mat. And then when the adult, the adult, the seventh-dawn adult throws his kid hard on the mat and no one is saying shit, that's what pisses me off, okay? The kid's throwing up. He's crying. Did the instructor actually throw him? Yes. I didn't see that part.
1: A part I saw was he was, like, standing aside, the side and more senior student was throwing the
0: kid. Yeah. that was in the video that i saw that dude that pissed me off and the thing that makes me mad is like i understand this whole thing like he's a sensei he's a seventh don he's an instructor we must pay him respect and that's this asian culture thing right there i don't think that would fly yeah i don't think it would fly in america really because i think a parent if they saw their kid getting thrown like that in america they would stop it if it's a parent definitely with this one it's an uncle taking their kid taking their nephew to a dojo because they wanted to enjoy judo, learn self-defense, get build up confidence and stuff. So the uncle I don't know if I saw my niece or nephew being thrown like that, but as again to me as a martial artist, I would step on the mat. I'll step on the mat and say something. I would do something.
1: So I'm not I'm not gonna defend the, the uncle's uh inaction. Mm-hmm. Um but to view it from an unbiased perspective, like okay what I heard was he said that he he was worried about it, but he didn't want to question the, the instructor and he was recording it because he wanted to go back and show his parents to say like, hey, like maybe judo is not for him. It looks kind of like he's crying, he's not enjoying it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of abusive kind of thing. But that's that's another topic, right? Whether What he should have done. But um, going back to what I said about that person messaging me and going like, hey, it doesn't seem too bad, right? To someone who's untrained, that might just seem like it might not seem dangerous. And some people just can't see what's wrong with something or mm-hmm. when someone's doing a technique wrong. Like for me, I saw like person throwing him had bad technique. The person being thrown, his head was hitting the floor and he'd had no breakfall skills. Like we see that, but someone who's not trained or doesn't have good technique might not be able to see it. So that's uh my explanation of what could have happened from um the uncle's perspective like he probably just saw it as him not having fun and not necessarily it being a dangerous thing
0: that could but be one explanation like the kids crying that's one thing okay like kids cry sometimes they hurt themselves and it's the an old thing i get from my old wrestling coaches is it an owie or is it an injury if it's an owie you can keep practicing if it's an injury you're done for the day all right if it's an injury yeah. you're done for the day and you're going to the hospital all right
1: yeah i have um I'm not going to say who again, but <laughs> <laughs> there's a kid in our, cl- in our, one of our classes in the past, like, um, we took him to a tournament and he took a pretty hard mm-hmm. fall. Um, it wasn't that hard, but he said he hit his head. and He like said he was seeing stars personally. I know he was faking mm-hmm. it. 100% I know he was faking it But I didn't want to take yeah. any chances mm-hmm. I was just like, okay, let's go see the medic And he was the medic's like checking He's like, oh yeah, he looks, seems like he has a concussion And then I was like, okay, no Judah for you for two weeks yeah. Even though I knew he was faking it That's, that's, that's what Like, we
0: always want to play it safe yeah. We never to, want to take chances, yeah. right? When it comes to kids, you have to be safe and sorry And I have no problem being safe saying sorry If a kid, and this is the thing that makes me mad the most When the kid throws up when the kid's crying, my head hurts and the kid throws up, you know, it's a concussion. And that's the thing from us being in America, we're the United States of America. These are our things that we have to do to become coaches to make sure that our members are safe for our adult members and our youth members that we are safe. Now, in Taiwan, I don't know what regulations, what classes, what they have to do to open up a dojo. And as they keep on saying the article, oh, he was he was uncertified or unlicensed. What does that mean out there? What is it? Unlicensed dojo or sensei mean? Like, it, in half the article, if you read, well, one of the articles that I read, it was like that he was a 7'3 black belt that wanted to teach judo to people for, I don't think he was charging people if they were doing for free or really cheap or whatnot, but wanted to teach, just wanted to know. teach judo. And I get that being... I, I heard yeah. after the incident happened, yeah,
1: he wasn't teaching there anymore, like he was gone, uh-huh. but... The dojo was still opening. So the question was, why is this dojo still teaching people? How did he let that instructor in, in the first place, teaching these kids in this way? Mm -hmm. Like, so I think something should be looked into. And as far as I know, the focus has been entirely focusing on the uncle and the instructor, but not many people are talking about what about the dojo, Mm -hmm. what was their involvement in this and also the national governing body? How, like, how did they let this happen? Mm -hmm. So,
0: no, I, I, I get that because I've seen that before, back when I was a Brown belt and stuff where we would have a visiting instructor. That's a, candy cane you know he's a sixth or seventh dawn or he's like oh this guy's a fifth degree black belt he's coming to visit and they get to do whatever they want for the most part you know they get to do whatever they want like that's a little dangerous that seems a little weird or i really don't think he should be working with that person in my head i'm thinking that but because i'm only a brown belt i can't say nothing but now that i'm a black belt and i'm a third degree black belt oh don't worry once talk shit all the time to people (laughs) If I see a candy cane or someone come in, that's an old guy, it's like, oh, I'm a of ruse. I'm gonna do this and do that. Like, Sorry, sir, no, that don't fly over here no more, all right? Philippe don't allow that. I don't allow that, you know? And I think what happened maybe there is that cause he is a seventh don, and that's a high rank in judo. That's a very high rank to have in judo. Especially if you you can still do judo and you're a seventh don, it's like, wow, we have a seventh don here, he must know something. He must be good at this.
1: Well, many it people just- don't realize one of the ways of getting to the high don ranks is just timing, grade, and contributions, like refereeing or like just politics mm-hmm. in general, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> so it doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're a good instructor, but that's also true for just good competitors in general. It doesn't mean you're a mm-hmm. good instructor, and like like you mentioned, um, it's kind of rooted in the Asian culture to respect mm-hmm. your elders and. Uh, having like a status and hierarchy thing being Asian, I was brought up to respect my elders, no matter what kind of <laughs> assholes they are. Like, uh, I don't want to get too much into it, but yeah, I, there's plenty of people that in my, um, el- that are elder to me in my family that they say some of the dumbest shit I've ever seen. And I just, I don't talk back. That's how I was raised. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't call them out, but I didn't want to start any conflict. Cause if I talk back, that just means like, people will look at me in negative light, right? Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd just walk away. But um, that was kind of brought into the judo, judo being an a, um, Asian martial art at, at the root level. I think that that kind of hierarchy system got brought over into the belt system. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of why I don't like the belt system.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I get you, Anthony, when you say stuff like that. I get it, I get it. But it's just one of the things that I- as an adult, as a person, if you see something like that happening, you shouldn't be scared to say that it's wrong or like, I'm gonna pull my kid out or I don't like this. You know, like I know my sister put my nephew in Taekwondo and my nephew (laughs) is like funny. It's like he didn't disrespect the Taekwondo instructor. It's just, he would always refer to him as my friend. Oh, my friend. It's my friend, my friend. I just see his little kid, just this four-year-old little kid. And again, he's four years old, so he's the the how, that four-year-old doing Taekwondo, which you should be minimum five to do martial arts. This shouldn't be nothing too too young, in my opinion. But I, I also want to yeah. Oh are, let me finish your thought. It's just it's funny because my sister took him out of Taekwondo because she felt that the instructor, because he's getting annoyed by my nephew, is kind of picking on him too much. So she mm-hmm. took him out, you know? That's the thing where a parent sees that, I, I don't like how this Dojo's treating my child. I don't like this, It I don't feel right doing it, whether he's being mean or not, like mm-hmm. I'm not there so I can't see it. She took him out. She didn't feel comfortable with it so she took him out. So with the uncle and these other parents, I assume that were there watching this, no one said anything. And it's with it, okay. He's crying, maybe the soft, he can't take it. Okay, he's trying to do some tough love. Once the kid starts throwing up because of head because he, he hit his head, he starts throwing up, game over. There is nothing after that. It is done. All right, there is no more throwing. He is done, he is going to the hospital right now.
1: That's not how you should do training anyway. Hard training is not done that way. And um like <sighs> That was a huge problem in Japan. If you look at the injury statistics, Japan's ju- Judo injuries and death is like way higher than other countries. Even other big Judo countries like France have like no injuries and deaths. Well, not no, but like just very low. Judo is supposedly one of the safest sports you can put your kids into. Safer than soccer, safer than basketball, all that kind of sports. You get more concussions and stuff than Judo. And um, But Japan, for some reason, has an abnormally high rate. And part of it was all the hazing and the hard training that goes on. Mm-hmm. And that's why the previous um, head of the Japan Judo Federation had to step down and why they brought in some new people, including uh, Yamashita and um, Inoue to clean house. And they kind of fixed the problem at the national level, but at the small local dojo level, that's still kind of a problem, the hazing yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so that's not how, how it should be done. Um, But part of what I was going to say earlier was I kind of blame it on the huge emphasis on competition in judo. Mm -hmm. All these people are, they wouldn't be training like that if they didn't want to produce big competitors. And um, some of these listeners, maybe you go on Reddit, there were a few posts posted recently of people sharing their kids competing at the uh, junior nationals and nationals. Mm -hmm. And... You see kids doing dangerous throws and you just see heads bouncing off the floor and you see even in training, not even competition, in training, they're teaching them like drop saiyoi and just overall, ukeami. the level of ukemi for those kids is just not there to, to mm-hmm. take those falls. So some people were, were pointed it out in the comments and the guy was saying, well, yeah, super effective. And if you want to win medals, that's what you're going to have to do. Right, mm. you're gonna have to teach these effective falls, and everyone else is doing it. So we're gonna have to teach <laughs> it too. It's like what kind what kind of mindset is that, right? I mean, you can't argue with it because it's effective as winning medals, and that's how it's producing these competitors. But at the same time, it's like at what cost? Yeah. And it, what happens to all the other kids that are there just recreationally and aren't going to be uh, become uh, Olympic medalists? Are you going to force them to take these falls too? So. I know there's two sides to every um, everything, and I think there's a better solution than to just teach teaching kids these dangerous falls uh, and throws before they're ready for it.
0: Yeah. So it was a bad situation. It should never happen in the first place. You know, the kids should have been taught better. This dojo should have had maybe a, whatever their license is for that country, to, for a licensed coach to be coaching there only. Or if they are going to have this coach come and visit as a guest or something, another sensei there that's supervised and it's not scared to be like, hey, we need to stop, you know? That's why it's always good to have two sensei's teach at the same time. That way there's two eyes watching everybody and one can check the other. You know, it's like that's too hard. This is too crazy. Whatever it is, this but overall it's just a t- very sad situation. I heard about it two months ago, the kid was on the kid was on life support for two months. And about two weeks ago, a week ago, the family decided to take him off life support and he passed away. And as Anthony said before, the I know the the sensei himself is being uh, charged with murder. I don't know, like what a second mm-hmm. murder or something like that. The uncle, I don't, I didn't hear about the uncle being charged. But Anthony, maybe you he heard something. I don't yeah. I didn't hear anything. But about I do that know either. that he's being charged with this because he should be. He allowed this to happen, you know. And if people are picking on the uncle, I feel bad for him because he already lost his nephew. And again, in Asian culture, sometimes it's less like, what am I supposed to do? Should I stop and? If this ever happened at a dojo, you're nearby or a dojo, you're visiting, or your seeing, like, don't be scared to say something. All right. Don't be scared to be the asshole. I, it shouldn't happen in the first place. You have anything left to say, Anthony?
1: No, uh, I think it's goes on to our, do we have time? Yeah. We, we still have time for our next yeah. topic. We have right? time
0: for one more topic, a little bit nicer one. So we had a email, uh, not an email question, an Instagram question from one of our listeners about how to prevent injuries in judo. And a truthful answer is, you can't. You can't prevent injuries. They're going to happen, all right? <laughs> Shit happens, judo. <you> <laughs> so there's a long and short of it. The, my thing is I always tell people when they ask me about injuries, like how to prevent injuries, is just be a good partner, You know, don't fight the throws, and know when to stop. If you do those two things, you most likely won't get hurt and nothing really seriously bad's going to happen to you, okay? So what I mean by being a good partner is that when someone tries to throw you for judo, it is supposed to be mutual benefit. You practice, I practice. Anthony throws me, I throw Anthony. I'm not drilling Anthony into the mat, okay? I'm doing that little, the little throw and tuck to lift him up a little bit that I know white belts have a hard time with and some competitors have a hard time with too. <laughs> but when you're being a good partner, you let your partner throw you and you let, and you throw them nicely. All right. Like I know we sometimes talk about competition practice and stuff. And like at our JoJo, we have a competition mat, like a big um, crash pad we use for big hard throws. But if I'm throwing matches on a normal, no, I'm about Matt, my roommate, <laughs> talking about throwing Anthony, I'm not throwing Anthony with all my might, drilling him into the mat. Okay. I'm throwing him with control. And when Anthony is being thrown by me, he's not stonewalling me. He's not dropping his weight. He's not making it hard for me. He's allowing me to throw him. And when I do that, he can ukemi properly. So it's about, in my opinion, one of the main things about being a good partner prevents so many injuries because when you don't be a good partner, that's when you're going to hurt your back, okay? Or they're going to they're gonna throw you really hard and they're going to drill you into the mat. And if you don't know how to ukemi properly, you're going to hit your head. And that's another thing right there about learning ukemi properly that like we we're talking about. If you learn how to fall properly, forward ukemi, back ukemi, side ukemi, you're not going to hurt yourself because you're going to know how to fall properly. And I understand it's be scary for some people when you first start doing throws and you start being thrown by people. It's like, oh, I'm being thrown from a height. This is weird. It's like, but if you know your ukemi's, you know how to roll your body into it, slap the mat, dissipate all your weight. So you're hitting everything at the same time, pretty much. You're going to be fine for the most part. All right. I'm not going to lie to people. You're still going to get hurt. You're going to get bumps and bruises, but your body's going to build toughness to this. Anthony, what do you think about stuff like that?
1: Yeah, I'm not going to go too much into Kemi since we talked about it in our uh, talk about the beginner's judo yeah. class. So, if you want to hear more stuff in depth about how important Kemi is and how actually, I guarantee you, if you're listening to this and you haven't been training judo for like 20 years or something, your Kemi is probably not good enough. <laughs> like, it's not there. There's still always something you can do to improve it. Even for me, like, I, I can still, I think my Kemi is pretty good. Um, I feel like I learned it the hard way, but. <laughs> Well Kata um, would... I wish I knew for people so. don't know
0: Anthony's yeah, Anthony's Kata, training as yeah. Kata right now, so hopefully by Christmas time he'll be a black belt. We <laughs> get a showdown. So he's having to relearn his Ukemi for Kata now. He's like, Oh, oh man, that that throw. Oh shit, yeah. my back. Yep. <laughs> I,
1: I will tell you the the two biggest thing that helped my Ukemi the most and realized how lacking it was. One was doing uh being the partner for one of the guys uh getting his black belt a few years ago like i was just like holy crap i can't even take these like prearranged falls <laughs> <laughs> like i'm just like how how the hell am i gonna take like 100 of these because he, he just has to practice over and over again and mm-hmm. whenever he messes up the throw the fall hurts more so it, it was kind of on me and also on him to um to him doing the throw pr- correctly and me being a good having good akemi. Mm-hmm. um that's why I think is important, going back to what we said before. Um, but the other event that really put my camera to the test was when Nicholas Gill came for a clinic and I went to sign up for the seminar. Mm-hmm. I was the only person in the room that was like his size and not like in my forties or fifties. So <laughs> everyone else was kids. So he was like, oh, you want, it was a two day seminar and I was being thrown by him and he was probably using like 50%, like half his strength, like Mm -hmm. doing a sotagati and all that kind of stuff. It was rough <laughs> <laughs> so that really put my chemi to the test I couldn't I couldn't move around for the next week or so but um, after that I really really practiced my chemi like throughout the whole um, pandemic I laid down mats in my garage and I was just like practicing chemi over and over and over again so those two things really put really made my chemi really good I think um, but yeah go back to the episode. Ukemi is more than just the physical parts. There's the timing, and then there's also the the mental aspect of it, of not stiffening up and being confident in your Ukemi. Um, you, you asked me about, about Ukemi, right? Or was it just in general?
0: <laughs> well, it's in general, because it's the whole thing about, like, how do you prevent injuries in judo? Now, like I said, one of my big things is, like, being a good partner and then knowing how to Ukemi. Yeah. And my third part that I always bring up is, like, knowing when to stop. Oh, there's actually kind of a fourth thing also because I always do this also is if you have an injury, prevent that injury. You know, I have bad knees. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you see me without my gi pants on, if you see me at catch or something or doing some other grappling, you're going to see my bionic knees. All right. I wear, I wear knee straps around my knees and then I have knee braces on top of that with metal in them. So they don't, pop the opposite direction but i do that to prevent injuries yep. i know i have bad knees i'm not gonna go out there crazy and be like all right i know i got bad knees because of my wrestling and judo and all my martial arts i'm gonna not wear knee braces and go do drop so nagi 50 times no no <laughs> all right yeah,
1: yeah so we taught we we say that you, you'll hear this from your sensei too like be a good partner leave your ego at the door take the fall but people still don't do it or they just don't yeah. understand it like So I think we really need to, like, explain it a little more. The ego part is basically taking the fall, right? But at the same time, Mm -hmm. it's knowing your limit. So it's not just, Mm -hmm. like, don't hurt your partner. It's just knowing when to stop for yourself. Like, don't let things escalate. Like, just because you can't throw this guy doesn't mean you should use more strength, right? Yeah. Um, Also, like you said, knowing when if you have something hurts, then sit out around or don't use that arm or take a break like i i personally struggle with the ego part of that in that sense because this guy at our dojo has been ragging at me for sitting out um for randori (laughs) a few times already like like, why are you sitting out i'm just like well my yeah it's like all Uh, uh, especially people who've never gone through surgery they don't understand he's a black belt actually (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, the black belt? I, thought was, I thought was the white belt talking about it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So he's been saying, well, just come in. Like, you guys are so lazy. Like, he's just calling me lazy, saying, like, I, I could just move around with him and stuff. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, if I go with you every single round, I trust you. But what about other people? Like, mm-hmm. all it takes is one bad, one thing to go wrong for for mm-hmm. you to to have to get, get a really bad injury. And that day, my knee was tight. And I just feel like I couldn't move around. Like I think I would be able to, and maybe I'll sprain it or something. So Mm -hmm. you just have to not let these people get to you and just say, no, like you've got to learn to say no. And a lot of people will say, well, I can't say no to my sensei. It's just like your sensei is not the one that's going to pay your medical bills he's well, not the one that's going to feed who's take care of you when you're like
0: bed bound <laughs> in the <a> cast like <laughs> well i think most of the time your sensei unless you're like at a really big competition dojo or you're trained for a competition your sensei will understand of like okay and you tell if it's one thing talk to your sensei also i'm not saying like oh i hurt my knee i'm gonna go sit out walk with matt don't do that that's disrespectful you say you got tweaked you tweaked your knee okay like anthony has the bad knees i have some bad knees and stuff we took a bad fall, we kind of tweaked our knees, like, I don't know why do this round, or I'm kind of, i pretty much done for the day. Go to your sensei and tell him, sensei, I kind of tweaked my knee, can I sit out for the rest of the class? Yeah, that's fine, okay? And sit down at wherever your mat space is, or against your wall, or whatever it is you guys do. Sit there. Don't just go off the mat by yourself. Don't just go walk off the mat, decide I'm gonna do this instead. Do not disrespect your dojo, okay? What I'm saying, when you wanna, when I tell you no. to do, you know, know when, know when your limit is, that's good but also explain it to your sensei don't just leave don't just be disrespectful we have one of our members um i can't remember what brian's last name is a brian really good competitor brian's in his what hershowitz yeah brian hishwitz brian hershowitz yeah uh brian's 60 years old is he is he 60 right Mm mm-hmm Okay, Brian's 60 in his 60s, I think. Yeah. Still competes, goes to international competitions, goes to the Masters every year and stuff, was world, was ranked world number one in his weight, in his age and weight class. For him, the way he trains, when as soon as he starts getting tired, he doesn't want to do bad technique. So then he's done. He trains till he's tired and then he's done. So if that means if he goes to the entire class and only does one round of rondori, that's all he's doing. Mm-hmm. And he'll go to Sensei Philippe be like, hey, Philippe, I'm done for the day now. Is that okay? And Philippe will be like, yep, they're good, go. It's fine, hey, thank you for coming, we appreciate it. He doesn't come to the mat, train for a little while, do all the stuff and then just leaves the mat and not tell anybody. He knows his limit and he knows his respect to Sensei. And going back Knowing to- Knowing your
1: limit is really hard thing to do.
0: Yeah, and I know, I know it's tough because you see everybody else working hard. He's like, oh, I want to do some Rondori, like everyone's going tough. Like, I want to be out there. But sometimes you just can't do it. Your knee's shot. Your shoulder's hurt. You mess up your finger or something. You can't pull. And you just got to know you're limited. That's how, when you go past your limit or push yourself too far, that's when you're going to get hurt. Okay, unless it's a freak accident, yep. like Anthony had with his PCL. <laughs>
1: yep. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't call it a freak accident. I think it was uh, it was avoidable. But um, yeah, talking about going back to my knee injury, like an ego... Part of it was my fault. I mean, um, when the injury first happened, I, I knew I tore something, right? Like the guy came in and did a shitty Tani otoshi, right? But I, my knee was still fine in a sense. It felt weird, but it was fine. And what finally did me in was when I went to San Jose Buddhist tournament um, afterwards and I fell on the side and then it, it just popped. So I could have just said no to the tournament, but because of my ego, I was like, I just moved to LA. I just joined this dojo. I want to show that I'm committed. I can compete. I I, I can do well in this tournament. I wanted to like make a good impression to my new senseis at this new dojo. I didn't listen to my body and I went to the doctor. They're like, well, you probably should take a rest, but it seems like it's fine unless we get an MRI. Like I didn't get that MRI. I just went to compete. So, and that's what, caused me to have this long-term injury so totally avoidable right yeah. but because of my ego
0: I push myself and that's that's what what happened and but I'm still paying back, for it right now yeah. right but if we go back even further though Anthony yeah your ego got in the way and you shouldn't want to stop but if your partner at the dojo didn't do a bad Tanya Toshichi to that we tell people not to do unless they know how to do it properly unless they're taught it and here's one thing I always tell people don't do unless it's taught to you and I don't teach it to nobody. So that's why I don't, I don't want no one doing it. Even though I do it, I'm a bad person. If they didn't do that to you. Okay. If they weren't a good partner for you, this would never happen. That's if true. You're a good partner. It wouldn't happen. So no. don't hurt your yeah. partners.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, other, so other than the obvious stuff that we kind of talked about already, um, I also like to divide it into things that you can control and things mm-hmm. that you can't control right so things that you can control you can do knee prehab like strengthening your knees like i think um my knee injury my surgeon told me is super uncommon that particular type of injury Uh, usually when that injury happens to that to the pcl you'll tear something else along with it and there usually is some uh, bone fracture that goes along with it but Mm -hmm. he said for some reason only my pcl was torn my acl mcl everything else is fine and i credit that to my muay thai training uh, my old kickboxing gym in Austin, Austin Kickboxing Academy, great place by the way, we live in Austin, go train with them. They like, they're, they conditioned my, my thighs and knees like crazy with these crazy mm-hmm. conditioning programs. I threw, throw up in class regularly. And I think how strong my legs were at the time prevented more injury from happening to my knee. Mm-hmm. So... I think prehab is super important. So being flexible is important. Those are all things that you have control over. You can control your strength. You can control your, your technique, how much you, um, how you focus on technique more than strength. So those are all things you can have control over. What you don't have control over is your training partner. I mean, you can say, I can talk to them to say like, Hey, like, can you be like more, Less strength, and you do this? But some people just don't listen. Like some are some some people I've trained with, like they don't listen. So I just don't go with them, right? Mm-hmm. Even when Sensei yeah. Sensei Philippe says, "Hey, uh, Anthony, go go with this guy." I'll be like, "No, I'm not I'm not gonna not going with this. <laughs> No, 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 thank you, right? Nope, no, thank so, you. So again, back to the ego and things that you have control over, right? Mm-hmm. So just knowing knowing your limit, work on good technique, pick your training partners carefully. Um, and to go a little bit beyond that, we said to say no, but at the same time, don't take advantage of your sensei's kindness and just like being lazy, like we said, right? It's easy to get in a funk and just go like, oh, my knee, Maybe I'll just like sit out because Sensei knows I have a bad knee, right? Like, <laughs> so maybe I, I'll just, I'm
0: I'm a little tired. Let me just blame it on my knee. What is this? And what is this saying? Uh, fatigue makes cowards of all of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So,
1: also, if you're healthy, if you're a healthy guy, don't take it. Don't sit out because sometimes people who are in, legitimately injured hates being bunched up together with those lazy guys in the corner that are talking and not training so they like push themselves to be separate from that group and then they get hurt right so mm. there, there's so many cultural aspects to um injury that i think the dojo
0: culture should set that will prevent injuries from happening now those are all good things you can do in my opinion to try to prevent injury but let's say you're already injured like we, we talked about like you know judo is a rough exercise so you should also be at home doing your stretching you know lifting weights keeping your muscles like, good and stuff you keeping yourself like in shape and stuff besides just throwing people around because if you do lose that muscles and then you try to and then you try to um, force throws you're gonna hurt yourself you're gonna pull something you're gonna tear something it's like this weekend i was teaching ogoshi to some, a lot of beginners and they're doing ogoshi with like their arm way out here trying to ogoshi again like why is my shoulder hurting because it's too far away from you you got to pull him into you pull the guy in and stuff so it's about using good technique so what about if i already have a knee injury like i talked about my i have bad knees so i wear knee braces to prevent that you know anthony has a bad knee he wears a knee brace also to protect that i've dislocated and fractured my fingers before from karate and judo and wrestling so when i go out to do judo now I look like a damn Ninja Turtle because I tape up my fingers like this. I look like a Vulcan when I go do Judo because I do this simple tape job where I just tape the lower knuckles together, the upper knuckles together. And as long as I can grip like that, like a Ninja Turtle, I can do stuff. If I didn't uh, tape up my fingers and there was a time where I was like, okay, I'm gonna try to not tape my fingers up and do Judo when someone would snap it. Cause I have a really strong grip on a gi. Like if I get a grip on your gi, it's really hard to pull it off off of me for the most part and some people like really fight really hard and when i snap my fingers off of that sometimes like i just feel that little that snap just like oh did i it again Did i, did I dislocated again so for me i don't want to dislocate because getting a fractured dislocated finger sucks all right and especially in your right hand <laughs> it's like yep. uh, i dislocated my um middle finger one time and i was still doing judo with this i was doing like ipo so nagi with the cat with the little uh split on it
1: <laughs> yep doesn't i try to split it doesn't work yeah right. for
0: me well the funny thing is i were to so. split too too long and my finger tightened so then I had to do the, like little weird little pinky exercises squeezing <laughs> my pinky again to, to flex again <laughs> but it's like i know that's there i know it's gonna happen so what do i do i take my fingers It's actually a really funny thing. It's like, so I love watching Jimmy Pedro videos. Jimmy Pedro hasn't competed like really hard in years, in decades. But if you look at Jimmy Pedro's videos, he's just demonstrating. He's still all taped up. He gets his fingers all taped up and everything. I'm like, that's the man right there. I just respect the shit (laughs) out of that guy. It's just like, they're all taped up. And he's just demonstrating, all right? He ain't competing. He ain't doing rondori.
1: Well, who knows? Maybe he was trained he was teaching before, maybe, <laughs> maybe it was right before recording. He walked right over and did a video and went, Yeah, back right to afterwards.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, if you know you're hurt, you know something's messed up, prevent it. Okay. I know, like, me and Anthony joke around earlier because we, we have sore bodies and stuff because what we've been doing is like, I use this Tylenol rub, he a Tiger Bomb. That's another thing, relax the muscles, you know? Another thing I like to do to relax my body is that because I'm a wrestler, I love taking like, when I cut weight and stuff, I like taking hot soaks. I love taking hot sauna baths, you know. I use the Japanese salt sometimes, or I use some Epsom salt on there and stuff to help relax the body. I don't just do judo and then do nothing else afterwards, you know? You have to take care of your body. I know Anthony has that cool jujitsu gun thing. How's that working out for you?
1: That was actually I was really against the idea of getting one because I uh-huh. thought it was a gimmick. But my sur- my surgeon I had, I have, um, after surgery, um, the knee muscle tightened up and actually affected my hip all the way down to my toes, Mm -hmm. actually. And he was like, yeah, it's like a a huge rubber band that wraps around your leg. And you basically have this tight upper part of your body that's pulling the rest of your muscles and affecting the whole whole leg from the hip down. So he said you need to get that Massaging gun. And I was mm-hmm. like, uh, okay, I'll think about it. I'll try stretches first. So I, I was doing stretches, yeah. still wasn't helping. I was uh, getting what they call a snapping hip syndrome, Okay. where my hip snaps every single time I move. I thought I would need hip surgery, but it was actually <laughs> just uh, my IT band. My IT, my IT band snapping across my hip bone. Uh-huh. And he was like, "You have you tried that massage gun? And I was like, okay, fine, I'll get one, right? So I finally got one from Amazon. It was like a knockoff off of those expensive ones. Mm-hmm. And I started doing it and it actually relieved the, the pressure. And then I started doing it for other parts of my, my uh, body and it actually helped a lot. So invested in one of those. I, I think um, Mikhail from my dojo got one too and he, he says it's helped. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that helped a lot definitely
0: now how do you feel about preventive measures of like taping up your fingers wearing knee braces elbow brace or something or um what are those um those basketball socks things that they wear in their forearms and sleeves yeah yeah compression sleeves yeah
1: yeah so i think compression sleeves do not prevent injuries i mean it's kind of obvious i think it's kind of it tightens your muscles together to give you, it relieves soreness. So I actually wear that when I go on walks for my dog some days. Some days my the weather kind of affects my uh, knee. So on days where it's sore, I put on the compression sleeves and the soreness kind of goes away and I go walk my dog. And the walking mm-hmm. actually helps relieve the soreness. Um, mm-hmm. Before you, you talk about preventive injury, but you also said what happens if you already have an injury, right? So yeah. the important thing is knowing when to get professional advice like (laughs) (laughs) obviously i the knee the knee shoulder those joints are really complicated so you should probably go see a physical therapist or a doctor to help them tell give you exercises and my physical therapist gave me a bunch of exercises that i could do at home and that actually helped a lot but one of the things that really pointed out to me they pointed out to me was like you know you're really in tune with your body because Whenever I come in, they're like asking me for, like, oh, how do you feel? Like, what are you struggling with? And I'm like, well, when I walk my dog, this part hurts. But then I realized if I shift it this way by two centimeters, or like if I walk a certain (laughs) way, or if I tighten this muscle, like flex it while I walk, then the pain goes away or the snapping goes away. And you're like, you're really unusual in a way that you know exactly which parts of your body and what you do can prevent, can, can affect your body that way. And being able to tell that to your physical therapist or doctor actually helps them diagnose what exercise would work for you and which parts are tight. Mm-hmm. And um, so being in into your body, knowing like what hurts when you do what and don't do it, if it hurts, will help. <laughs> um, and one example I like to use is judo. Like this is the second time I went through the knee injury, right? There's the first initial one and then I avoided surgery by just doing physical therapy. And the second time, which is why I, when my knee started popping out of the socket from getting loose over time and I had to get surgery. And every single time when it came back, I was doing the stretches and it was helping a little bit, but it wasn't helping a lot. But when it came back to judo and I started doing the warm-ups, I go back and I feel immediately looser. So you want to go back to doing regular activities, but without rushing it. So going back to what we say, knowing your limits, right? Yeah. So I started with just doing warmups and I went back, went to our weight area and lifting weights. Then a couple of weeks later, I started doing stretches and maybe moving uchikomi's, and then went back to doing weights at the corner. Mm-hmm. Then I started doing throws and going back to, to the weights. And now what, like it's been three months since we reopened? Yeah, that, I just yeah. started doing Rondory again like a week and a half ago, right? I started doing Rondory a week and a half ago and I still haven't gone back to our competition level Rondory training on Saturdays, mm-hmm. um, but I'm thinking if next week I feel good enough, my knee, then I'll go back into it. So it's knowing my limit, because I was going to do that this week, yesterday, mm-hmm. and then last minute, I was like, my knee's not feeling right. I'm just going to sit out, and that's when the guy I'm talking about was giving me shit for it. Like, <laughs> okay, and I was all right. Like, you know what? Maybe next maybe maybe next week, I said. Maybe actually not All today. Right. And then knowing your limit, do, if it's running that you like to do, start with a light jog. That's what I did. Like I started jogging and then, oh man, it's starting to hurt, so I stopped. Mm-hmm. And then I took my dog and I ran back, went back home, straight back, turned around, went back home. Then the next week I was able to run for a mile mm-hmm. and then it got sore again, so I went back home. So knowing how to gradually uh, find your limit and then backing off a little bit when you re- hit that slight indication that, it, that that's where your limit is is really important i think mm-hmm. and um talking to the surgeon they're like yeah a lot of people with knee injuries get a second knee injury not it's not because the knee is compromised it's actually because they go back to judo and whatever sooner than they think they were yeah. ready for it
0: they go back so too soon yeah, you hear that yeah a time. lot of people
1: yep they'll get surgery and they're like okay it's good enough all right i'm gonna go back <laughs> to Rondory straight away and then pop and then like okay now you need a second (laughs) surgery and that's where you get the myth of like once you get a surgery it's more you're more vulnerable to
0: uh once you start you um, can't stop
1: (laughs) getting yeah yeah (laughs) actually in some ways in some ways the leg that i got surgery on feels Mm -hmm. more stable and stronger than the knee that i don't have surgery on Mm-hmm. It, it's funny, maybe because of the metal plates in there, but um, <laughs> it's just a, the range of motion and the soreness is what's holding it back. And I know I kind of went on a little long dis, uh, explanation there, but for me, again, knowing your limit, start, don't don't be stationary, just like move, just get moving, do something. Mm-hmm. Once you it, feel pain or soreness, then stop.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well there's one last thing I just thought of when we are talking about this, and I was talking about like, once you have an injury, where wear stuff. People, I get this from white belts all the time. It's about, oh, can I wear knee pads? Can I wear knee braces? Can I wear, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah. If you're not injured or nothing and you don't, you don't want to hurt your knees and stuff, you don't have to go bare knee. You can wear a knee pad underneath your mm-hmm. gi. You can wear an elbow pad underneath your gi if you want to as well. And that's a thing in judo actually in competition. I can wear whatever I want underneath my gi as long as it can't be seen so i can wear a soft Mm -hmm. knee brace or a knee pad no problem i can wear an elbow brace or elbow pad on my on my elbows no problem or like those compression sleeves as long as it doesn't come past my gi and stuff but at practice, if you want to wear that stuff to prevent stuff or you feel like more secure with that, that's fine, that's no problem. Your sensei, instructor, coach, whatever you have, should not have mm-hmm. a problem with that. And no one, and trust me, everyone is wearing sort of pads or braces underneath their yeah. stuff once you get older, right? Every black but I know wears something underneath their gi. Yeah, I
1: don't I don't wear knee pads for judo because I don't really do any drop throws, but I think if you do drop knee throws, you should get knee pads. Um, it's not good for you. I wouldn't recommend people doing drop knee throws anyway. I kind of hate hate, drop knee throws but for bjj i'm on my knees all the time i i definitely wear knee pads for bjj even though it's harder to pass mm-hmm. guard um get past on guard with it i just wear it just because my knees feel like crap after training if i don't wear them so <laughs> yeah just um speaking of, I need speaking the, of knees, knees like uh uh-huh. there's a guy on youtube that kind of went viral he's called a knees over toe guy have you ever heard of him
0: he was no i've never Hogan, heard of knees over toe like guy.
1: <laughs> He wasn't on Joe Rogan, but Joe Rogan talked about his video. So oh, okay, l- look it up. He has he has these like he has knee. He call it bulletproof knees, but basically he does a program that strengthens his knees a lot, and he can do these crazy things. And someone in my BJJ club told me about it when I told him I had knee surgery, and I've been doing his program a little bit, and it actually helped a lot. So um, recommend people checking check check that out. Yeah, knees over toes. Okay. Guy,
0: knee over yeah. toe guy. All right, knees over toes, knee over toes. All right, yep. sounds interesting. All right, and is there anything else yeah. you want to talk about? Anything else you want to talk about preventative or after hurting yourself?
1: Uh, I guess we talk about the the creams, the, the stuff that we use. You talked about Tiger Bomb, you talked about my Muay Thai liniment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, we talked about that I used, already. Um, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, is there anything yeah. else? Is there anything else you use? Um. Let's see. I use this Tylenol rub. I also take a lot of ibuprofen and uh, some Tylenol. Oh, I guess Graver we did. Tylenols. We did talk about that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> just, just don't, just don't take any painkillers or ibuprofen or all that kind of stuff before practice, because then it would mask your injuries. You won't feel the pain, and then that's when you, like,
0: yeah it's like the old football players back in like the 80s and early 90s they'll get the cortisone shot in their knees before a game and then after a game they find their knees blown out or something (laughs) you're like oh no
1: yeah (laughs) yeah but the (laughs) i know i also know we talked about picking partners but sometimes if you're trying to get to a certain competitive level you just can't pick your partner so injuries is just part of the game so all
0: right yeah all right so i think that's that's pretty much it then all right so anthony like last episode you said that you wanted to try doing the outro so yeah let me try today's the day anthony i'm gonna let so i've had a great episode today hope you guys learned some stuff from it and hopefully you guys follow us again all right so anthony take it away
1: don't forget to like follow and subscribe and hit the notification icon if you're on youtube and I, I didn't practice this, by the way. So I'm ad liking this. It's <laughs> so cool. Follow us on Instagram at the GR81 at the J 8 underscore Juan and me and Anthony Throws. And also follow us on Instagram at Tatami Talk. And if you have any questions, you can email us at TatamiTalk at com.
0: I think that went pretty well. Yeah, not bad. It's good for your <laughs> first try. All right. All right, everybody. Hope you guys have a good week. Catch up next time. All right.